Steadycast, live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, how are you doing after a midweek that brought us some, uh, some brilliant Champions League action, amongst other things? A little annoyed by you today. Why is that? Have you met you? Oh, but the show's hardly just started, Herc. I know, but I've been working with you all day. So. <laughs> uh, by the way, for those uh, who haven't noticed yet, the show, while it is, of course, on ESPN+, Plus, we're also live, Herc, on YouTube. Uh, and I know you've m- kind of worked your way into the comments section here on YouTube. You've been interacting with folks. Are we live folks. already? We I- are live right now. So as folks kind of throw their comments in, we'll, we'll check them out throughout the show. If you say anything interesting, maybe we'll... Uh, We'll bring it up in conversation here. We mm. do have some big conversations to have. Joining us a little bit later on, John Champion. We're going to talk some MLS playoffs. We're also, Herc, with John, going to talk about some Americans in the Premier League, including, of course, uh, Christian Pulisic. We are now less than, Herc, 48 hours away from kickoff of the NWSL Championship, which, of course, will be happening not far from the studios right here in Washington, D.C. at Audi Field, Kansas City, Against Portland on Saturday night, we will be giving our picks for that a little bit later on in the show. But let's start, Herc, with some big news from Tuesday afternoon. Actually, it was Wednesday afternoon when Mexico dropped their 31-man preliminary World Cup roster. Of course, you know, the final roster isn't due till November 14th. That one has to be trimmed down to 26. Some headlines here. No Chicharito. I know we knew it was coming, but it's still a headline. Uh, Yes, Raul Jimenez and Tecatito Corona, they are on this list despite both dealing with long-term injuries. Mexico has two pre-World Cup friendlies, one against Iraq on November 9th and one against Sweden on November 16th. For more on this, we welcome into the show someone who always makes the cut on Football Americas, Mauricio Pedrosa, who was just traveling the world. My man, how was España week? You were everywhere, dude. It was. I would, I would, I would show you a little of extra pounds that I got. Camera is not big enough for that, but that tells you absolutely everything you need to hear from me regarding uh, our España week this past weeks, actually. But I'm happy to be back and happy to be joining you guys in Football Americas. I feel like I've, like I've missed you recently. <laughs> I was about to say he definitely stretched that España week into uh, into España weeks, oh, yeah. plural. So uh, well done, well done, Mal. There. Okay, time for three questions. Here on Football Americas, we're going to start with the first. Who is the biggest snub left off of this 31-player list? Mauricio Pedrosa, since you are the guest, we'll start with you. Marcelo Flores is the biggest snub. And it's quite easily actually to understand why it's very disappointing not to see his name in the roster. Uh, First of all, this is a 31-player roster that then will be cut down to 26. But with so many players and so little talent that now is uh, uh, the, reg- the, the rule in the Mexican national team, it is a disgrace that the guy that's supposed to be the face of the national team in years to come does not get the chance to make this roster and prepare him to what's coming up next in his career. This doesn't have anything to do with his playing time. This doesn't have to do anything regarding impact or no impact in this team. It has to do with the opportunity of developing who is supposed to be the best Mexican player of the future. Uh, I've I've seen our friend Juan Carlos Osorio here. He was also with us on, on, on Auto Nunca, and he said he did the same thing with Eric Gutierrez four years ago in Russia. This was the time to do the same with Marcelo Flores, and it's a wasted opportunity for the Mexican national team. It's also a wasted opportunity because it's 26-man roster. Like, if it's 23-man roster, like, listen, what do you want? The kid's not playing first division soccer. He's not even playing second division soccer. And I think it was your boy that told you that that gamble that he was taking, leaving Arsenal, where he was in the eye of the hurricane, but still in the eye, going to a second division club was a huge gamble. And it was pretty much saying, hey, I'm done. I'm out. And it had to pay off. If not, it was over. Well, now it's over for Marcelo Flores. Uh, regardless of el techo, the ceiling, or the upside, this is a gamble that didn't play off, pay off for him. So I can see why Marcelo Flores isn't going to the World Cup. But that said, Juan Carlos Osorio did it. And many coaches do it. They plan ahead and look to the future. Tata Martino, he's only thinking 2022, then I'm out. 
What are those three spots for? That's the big question, right? What are those three extra spots for if you're not going to take a guy for the future? Now, uh, Herc, I want to get your biggest snub, but I want to pull the curtain back a little bit here. All right, all right. Because when the production meeting started, <laughs> this topic was biggest snub not named Chicharito. But I looked at the Ooh. rundown here, and where it says Herc's pick, it says Chicharito. So now Ooh. we see Ken Mandaki. It's not the producer. No, it, it's no, no, Everybody who gets mad about oh, the topics and says, oh, no, Seves no, Amarista. when the producer asked me, da, 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 he said, my name Chicharito. I said, if it's no, not no, Chicharito, over, then it's nobody. Because it starts and ends with Javier Hernandez, especially given the context. Guys, the nines, the nines for the national team don't score goals on the international level. Raul Jimenez. The starting nine, the apple of Tata Martino's eye, probably is not going to go to the World Cup. And if he goes, he probably won't even be fit enough to play in the World Cup. So given the context of Henry Martin, limited sample size at the international level, of Santiago Jimenez, who right now is coming off the bench, but still in Europe, and that limited sample size, and Raul, I'm sorry, and Rogelio Funes Mori, that's not quite convinced many people. I mean, you have to go back to the well. The only player, the only player in this pool with the World Cup gold. The only player in this pool that a World Cup he plays, goals that he scored. He scored in every single World Cup. It starts and finishes with Javier Hernandez, the most informed forward right now. I don't know, given the context, how we could sit here with a straight face and say, this man isn't a snub. Go ahead, Mao. I think Harry is just telling one side of the story. He's not wrong. Oh. But he's not telling the full story. And here's why. Hmm. Obviously, in terms of Sporting reasons, uh-huh. Javier Hernandez should have been there. But now we've come to learn that the other side of the story is that he's a toxic presence in that dressing room. Mm. He's a toxic presence around the Mexican national team. And this is not the first time that a player in great form is left out of the roster for reasons that don't have to do with his performance on the field. It happened to Cuauhtémoc Blanco in 06. Ricardo, Labol, uh, Ricardo Lavolpe took the blame, but it was really players like Jared Borghetti, Rafa Márquez, Osvaldo Sánchez, who didn't want Cuauhtémoc Blanco because of Are his toxic nature inside dressing room. Are you saying Jared Borghetti was one of the players that didn't want Cuauhtémoc Blanco? This is the thing. Yeah. You're yeah, naming he's, players. He's one of them, but this we've is no not, news. I'm not, not, I'm not breaking news here. He's admitted to it. We've not had one player say... They don't want Javier Hernandez. We've had Memo Choa on this very show say, oh, if he's come there, on, do me he will help us. Well, you, you, you call you yourself a journalist, you think, right? I'm not a so journalist. So now you should know I'm not a journalist. journalist. I work no, for no, ESPN no, 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 no. and I'm a you media said, personality. No, 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 no. I'm not a you journalist. Said, I didn't go to journalism school, guys. Now you're a journalist. Now, no. don't take it back. Don't take it back. Take it back what? You talk to Colega. people. Memo Choa here said they can use him. Come on. How good is Mexico is he gonna say? that they what have the luxury of leading up the all-time say? leading goal scorer in their All right, history? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you believe him? Who? Do you believe him? Who? Memo Choa or Javier Hernandez? Memo Choa, when he said that. No. Do yes, you believe, believe Memo Choa yes, when, when, when he said he wants to win. Hernandez with open arms? Here's you the thing. don't? No, you Here's don't believe him. Let's you put know, a pin he's lying straight to your face. Let's put a pin in this. Here's the thing. The problem here isn't if he committed an act of indiscipline. Javier Hernandez. The problem is here is that Tata Martino and the Mexican Federation have let it grow, this monster grow for so long that conspiracy theorists like yourself bring up he's toxic. Bring up he had an altercation with Memo Choa and Guardado. Bring up it's over money. This is sourced. Bring up all these different different theories. This is sourced. 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 Bring up all these different things instead of saying this is why he's not on. This is why he's not on. And that's the issue here. They've let it groan. And now, now, Mexico, Tata Martino are going to regret not mm. taking Javier Hernandez. Mm. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Let's, uh, let's leave uh, Javier Chicharito Hernandez there for just a second. Uh, I have another big snub. It kind of now is down your path, uh, Marcelo Flores. And it's in the goalie position uh, with Acevedo. I think this is a player who obviously at his age, I think would be what, 29, 30? Uh, at the time of the next World Cup. The youngest goalie that's going right now is Cota. He's going to be 39 in 2026, okay? Talavera's 40, Memo's 37 right now. I know Memo has talked about a sixth World Cup. 
but for me, you have to have a younger goalie somewhere in there. So uh, Carlos Acevedo for me of Santos definitely deserves that opportunity at least to go. Uh, there's a couple other players who might not fit the snub category, but I do think are worth at least mentioning here. Alejandro Sendejas. Um, he's not a snub because I don't think Mexico had the real possibility to choose him. If anything, you might say he snubbed Mexico, um, right? The other player I would bring up here, Herc, and I'm surprised you didn't pick him out of the pile. Uh, aside from Chicharito, you said there was, there was no snubs. Uh, Julian Araujo, uh, because you brought him up before, especially when Jorge Sanchez had a bad week in Champions League against Napoli. Yeah. Well, surely you saw against Liverpool, he had another bad week. So if you're really worried about right back, I'm surprised that you're not surprised that Araujo no, isn't Jorge there. Sanchez is a starting right back. Your snub would be the third goalkeeper. Uh, your snub would probably get on the field in 2026. Chicharito's the only one that could actually start. Uh, Acevedo, the sad thing about Acevedo is Tata Martino, he's really hurting the program because Acevedo is going to be 30 years old come next World Cup, playing his first World Cup. The damage that Tata Martino is doing, whether voluntary or involuntary, whether he realizes it or not, is crazy. Uh, all right, I'm looking at some of the comments here on YouTube. Only Juanmar says Acevedo should have been there and Javier as well, so he, uh, he might agree with some of us uh, in there as well. Uh, Bremen says, if Flores is the best you got, you're in trouble. Mediocre, segunda player. Let's keep it moving here uh, on three questions. Next up, the important question. Who do you cut? We got to get it down from 31 to 26 by November 14th. So, uh, Herc, you're saying goodbye to Raul Jimenez and Tecatito. They're gone. Uh, you've cut, let's see, Angulo on the defensive line, Eric Sanchez in midfield, Alvarado as well. Now, you're taking Raul, but not taking Tecatito. Yeah. You're also cutting Alvarado, Angulo, Romo, and Santi Jimenez. Ah, I see what you did there. Okay, want to avoid the... Uh, the new ink. <laughs> uh, I'm taking both Jimenez and Tecatito, just for argument's sake here, because, you know, we, we got we to gotta hope they'll be ready. Uh, I'm leaving out Funes Mori, Alvarado, Angulo, Sanchez, and ooh, a little controversy here. Uriel Antuna as well. Uh, Herc, mm. let's start with your cuts. You are not waiting around for these injured guys at all. Why? It's just crazy. Uh, you're how many days away from the World Cup? And Jorge Sampaoli right now, the head coach of Sevilla, came out in a press conference and said, listen, it's not when I'd like to get Tecatito back. He doesn't have the green light medically to even come back until December. Remind me again when the World Cup starts, guys, because uh, I kind of think that's going to be a little too late. I said an out on Nunca and Mao said Mexico might be out by the time he even starts being back on the field. And as far as Raul Jimenez, Raul Jimenez has not played for Wolves since late August. Raul Jimenez... Right now, Wolves, who needs a goal scorer, who has five goals in 12 games and is in the relegation zone, if they could possibly see a return for him, they would do everything in their power to get him back. He's not there yet. Raul Jimenez, by the way, even if he was there, what are we talking about? Last time he scored a goal for Wolves was in March. Last time he scored a non-penalty goal for Mexico was Japan in 2020 in a friendly. And I know what you guys are going to say, well... His, the way he plays is not necessarily the goals he scores, but it's him assisting, getting other players involved. The last time he had an assist was also 2020 in a friendly. He's not the same player he was before that injury. He had a window of 18 months where he was on fire. He's become the same player he was back then. And you can't wait for a player and hope that he catches fire in the World Cup. If he's not caught fire in the last two years, I don't know why you're waiting for players that are injured who are going to be less than 80% by the time the World Cup comes along. It really is the big question, Mal, huh? How long to wait and on whom? Yeah. Yeah, so the reason why I'm taking Raul is it's a very different story with Tecatito. I'm not going to go deep in that because Herc just explained it perfectly. But what I will say is this. When you take three number nines you would usually only play two, especially for a team like the Mexican national team and the way that Tata Martino uses his number nines. So it, it, it's, it's so looking like Henry Martin will start. So the next question is, who's your better backup? Mm. And at this point, I think Rogelio Funes Mori leads Santiago Jimenez by small margin, but here's why. And in Tata Martino's head, right, Rogelio Funes Mori is a consummate player, is a seasoned veteran, and understands the way Tata Martino likes to play better 
than Santiago Jimenez. So that's why I'm saying Rogelio will go over Santiago Jimenez. But, and here's a, a Raul Jimenez uh, a part of the equation. I do believe that the fact that he came and trained with, Mex with the Mexican national team doctors, he was there for a week, now he's traveling back to England, tells me that, of course he will not start, but if he can play and he can give you 15 minutes against Poland, if he can give you 25 minutes against Saudi Arabia, then there's value to that. That's the only reason why it makes sense for me to take Henry, Rogelio, and Raul Jimenez. Herky's gonna leave Jimenez off. Is he just doing it to avoid the ink or what? Santi Jimenez, Bebote? Yeah, that's the only reason Mao's leaving Santi Jimenez off because you can't possibly say that Rogelio Funes Mori or Raul Jimenez are in better form than Santi Jimenez. I'm looking at my watch right now, guys. We're like, what, 23, 24 days away from the World Cup? And you're hinging your hopes of not getting ink not getting a bebote tattoo on Raul Jimenez. No, barely you, know, right now. you know I don't mind getting new ink. It's not <laughs> the reason. I would get anything. That's fine. Listen, listen, guys. Sebi, you put it perfectly. It's how long do you wait? And how long are you willing to wait? Because you could say you can take Raul Jimenez and hope he gets somewhere close enough to 100% by the third or the fourth game. But do you really think he will be a benefit to you by the third or fourth game? Yeah, it's, what are, it's also what are you waiting on, right? Yeah. Not just how long are you going to wait, but let's be honest about, to all your points, what Raul Jimenez is right now. He's not a difference-making player. If I had to look at one of these two guys and say, who am I, who am I really willing to wait the longest on, it's Tecatito, because I think he's closest to top form, to peak form. That's the guy Ooh, that I would I wait know. on. I don't know about that, Seb. Oh, he yeah. Was, compared to Raul Jimenez? Yeah, I don't know. Compared Seb, to Raul Jimenez? He, he come on. Raul come on. It's been better. years Raul since Raul Jimenez better. was Raul an effective player. Raul was better in World Cup qualifying than Tecatito. Oh, Tecatito oh, was one of the most criticized players in World Cup qualifying. No yeah. way. Look at what Tecatito was yeah. doing at Sevilla. No way. No yeah. way. Way better form than what you're getting week in and week out. Before Wolf sent him up today, we don't even need this guy anymore. You're talking Sevilla form, not national team form. Big difference. Oh, yeah. Tell me how good Raul Jimenez was then in the qualifiers. Tell me how awesome he was. Scored two goals. Teca oh. Tecatito struggled. <laughs> right. right, okay. Tecatito Great. was the most criticized Great. player in World Cup qualifying for Mexico. Okay, so I left Uriel Antuna off the list. We know Herc loves Uriel Antuna. He's made the case many times before. Mal, you are also a lawyer. Make the case for Antuna to be on this team. <laughs> you make so, the case for him to be so, on this team. I'm going to take a page out of, out of your book and say, you're, you're leaving Antuna out just because you want Diego Lainez to be in. And oh. I agree with you 100%. You are removing every winger that looks like a competition for our yep. guy, Diego Lainez, which, by the way, do not believe the rumors that he's going to take it. That's not going to happen. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but as, 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 as we mentioned before, like, I would not take El Piojo Alvarado because I want to take Diego Lainez. At this point, it's hard to believe that Tata Martino won't include Uriel Antuna. He's, I believe he's the second player with most minutes in the national team under Gerardo Martino. And let's, let's be honest, Jesus Gallardo is number one. Thank you to our producer. And to be honest, when, when we speak about performance, Uriel Antuna hasn't really been bad. He looks like he's been okay. So at this point, I think Uriel Antuna is pretty much a lock to be a part of the 26-man roster. I think it is a battle between... Uh, Piojo Alvarado and Diego Lainez for that final spot as a winger. Which is crazy to me. Uh, Uriel Antuna is in a different category because if you, if you think about Alexis yeah. Vega, if you think about Alvarado, if you think about Lainez, if you think about any type of winger, even Tecatito, Orbelin, Orbelin productive players, his stats are better than all of them, so I'll leave him out. But when you talk about Diego Lainez like not being part of this group, and he may go if something happens with another winger, that is blasphemous. That is crazy talk because when I think about a game that Mexico is playing. I think they're struggling in the first half. You need somebody to change something, change a game for you. The first sub that comes into my mind, first sub, the 12th man, is Diego Linus. And now you're telling me Tata Martino doesn't even see him as part of the group? That is crazy to me. Mm. All right, speaking, Herc, of crazy talk, we had some crazy talk this week from Tata Martino himself. Speaking about the fans and what he <laughs> expects from Mexico's fans in Qatar, let's listen in. Yo creo que en la Copa del Mundo la, el, el apoyo de la gente va a ser incondicional porque ya se ve. 
Ajá. y creo que vamos a jugar un partido con Polonia con, no sé, 50.000 mexicanos en la cancha. Y de ahí dependerá de nosotros. Sí. Porque en definitiva, a ver, cuando nada se pudo cambiar, este, hablando de cuerpo, de entrenador, eh, y llegamos a esta recta final, no sé, asumo que la gente decía, bueno, ni modo, tendremos que ir con este tipo a la Copa del Mundo. Así que ahí la gente dice, bueno, somos mexicanos y tenemos que apoyar. Yo no estoy tan seguro tampoco de que sea la generalidad, porque no, lo, no es lo que vivo en el día a día en la calle. Entonces, este... Eh, yo separaría un poco lo que es la gente por un lado y lo que es, son los medios Oh, we got some folks listening on the podcast, so quick translation for them. Basically, Tata Martino there saying, uh, once Mexico fans get to the World Cup, they'll realize, hey, we're, we're stuck with this guy, uh, and we got to cheer on the team. He also mentioned that not all Mexican fans dislike him. That's down to his experience, uh, and he notes the difference between how the Mexican press and the Mexican public feel about the team. All right, uh, Mauricio, are you buying this, or are we going to hear Fuera Tata five minutes into the first game in Qatar? We are going to hear Fuera Tata eventually during the tournament. And ah, you know eventually, this. eventually. Let's go, let's go back. Let's go back to 2018. Oh, okay. Let's remember the game, the game, the, the Germany game. We were there. The South Korea game. We were leaving the stadium and the, the crowd was chanting, El Profe Osorio. Eh, but then what happened after Sweden? Fuera Osorio. Fuera Osorio. I mean, of course the fans are going to go depending how the team goes. There you go. Here's what I believe. If the team does well against uh, Poland, right, they're going to chant the player's name. No one's going to chant Tata Martino's name. But I think there's a big chance, because I believe that game's not going to go well for Mexico. I think there's a huge chance that El Fuera Tata, Tata out, will be loud, loud and clear. Maybe not in the first five minutes, but during the game against Poland, for sure. The people are fed up with Gerardo Martino. Yeah, unfortunately, and you guys know this very well, it all depends on the Mexican national team. If the Mexican national team is entertaining and they are doing well and it looks like they're winning or they will win, you're not going to hear any of that stuff. You're going to hear El Chucky Lozano. You're going to hear these chants going about, but we were in Russia. You heard the homophobic chant when they thought that things weren't going their way. You can hear a Fuera Osorio chant after the Sweden game. You could hear a Fuera Tata chant as early as opening day for Mexico. It all depends on the Mexican national team. And I think Tata was alluding to that. I think he understands that. But I wouldn't go off and blame the press. You've also had an abysmal, abysmal last two years. I, I would be, there's a big difference for me between not hearing Fuera Tata and hearing El Profe Osorio. I think it's going to take a lot for us to get two fans <laughs> singing Tata Martino's name. Um, no, I don't, it's I not going to get they to beat, that. A victory over Germany. You're going to get a, a okay. Profe Tata. You're going to get a okay. Tata Martino. That's, that's something very big. We didn't well, expect the victory over Germany. Germany. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, if they beat Argentina, okay. But beating Poland, I don't think they're going to be singing uh, Tata Martino's name. Let's move from the international stage to the domestic stage. Liga Mekis finals kicking off tonight. Leg one. Toluca hosting Pachuca. Uh, Toluca at home, but actually Pachuca, Pachuca are the favorites. Uh, Pachuca plus 115 to win. Toluca plus 235. That was as of this afternoon. I'm sure it's moved a little. These two teams in the final, thanks in large part to their two very successful managers. So Mao, help us settle a debate that popped up on the show the other day. Mm. Talking about... Mm. Nacho Ambriz, Guillermo Almada. Who do you think would be the better fit for a future with the Mexican national team? Toluca's manager or Pachuca's manager? I don't even understand why this is a question. It's very simple. It has to be Nacho Ambriz. Mm. He's been around longer. He oh. knows everything about the Mexican national team. He oh. represented Mexico in the World Cup. Oh. He was the captain. Nothing will come new at him. He has managed the most important teams in the country, Chivas, America. He's done well with Toluca. He did fantastic at Leon. He already has the European experience under Javier Aguirre. Didn't go that well for him when he went solo. That's a different story. 
But I mean, it's not, it's not even a question, that's a no-brainer. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of Guillermo Almada, huge fan. He's, right now, probably he's the best manager in Liga MX, but it, it doesn't necessarily translate being the great manager at a club level than at a national team level. So the fact that Ignacio Ambriz knows everything about the Mexican national team because of his time as a player and captain, to me, makes it super simple. He has to be option A, between them two, because I don't even think that he's the best option overall. But between them two, I would go with Nacho Ambriz. Yeah, between the two, I think is relevant context here because I would go outside of the two. But between the two, they've only... Was it two finals for Nacho Ambriz? And was it Guillermo Almada? This will be his third final uh, in Liga MX. Listen, it's Guillermo Almada. Let me tell you why. He's had some big clubs, big players. Guillermo Almada has been with Santos and Pachuca, and he's turned these players into big players. He made Nico Ibañez el campeón de goleo. Two straight finals. When you look at the system, when you look at the style of play, Guillermo Almada and how he plays, the high tempo, high intensity, being dynamic, being explosive out of the midfield through wing play is more conducive to the style of play internationally today. Not just in CONCACAF, but in the world. The most successful teams in the world. And he's proven it in different programs. He's proven that Santos made them competitive. This is his third final in four seasons, in two years. And the two last finals with Pachuca. He makes players, he makes teams competitive. So when you have a deficiency in talent at a world level, because you're in CONCACAF, you need to make up with other things like a system, a style of play, a set DNA. He has that about him. All right, uh, real quick, Mal. Before we let you go, uh, Herc is on the record. He's been saying Pachuca is going to win Liga Mekis since the very beginning Pre-season. of the season. Yeah. Uh, Toluca against Pachuca. Who you got here in the final? I, I have Herc saying something different, but all right, I'll believe you. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think Pachuca will win. I think, I mean, head to toe, they have the better players, the better team. They have been more consistent. That's been okay. key. Toluca had their ups and downs. Pachuca has been very, very consistent. That's why I believe... Uh, they're the team to beat, and most likely they, they'll, they'll win the championship on Sunday. All right, there he is. Mauricio Pedrosa, thanks so much. Glad you're back from Espana Week. We look forward to seeing you on our Glad Nunca. to be thanks back, my friends. We'll see you later. On Football Americas. So what does the SPI say, by the way, about the first leg? 30% chance for Toluca to win. 46% chance for Pachuca. Oh, the YouTube comments streaming in. We got a lot of Toluca fans in the YouTube comments. A draw coming in. At 24%, all that, according to the SPI. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. It was the news that blew up American Soccer Twitter midweek on Tuesday night for Major League Soccer considering a change to its playoff format. The Athletic reporting that a couple of the formats being considered one would see eight teams, eight teams from each conference into a group stage uh, with four teams, the top two advancing into a knockout stage, if that sounds familiar, yes, uh, somewhat like the World Cup. Another format could be much more simple, home and away into a knockout rounds, 
uh, could add about 25 games to the season. That's what's under consideration, according to The Athletic, as MLS uh, considers a change to its postseason structure. For more on this and much more, we welcome now to the show John Champion. He, of course, is the voice of Major League Soccer on ESPN. Got a big game coming up, but uh, first things first, John, on this show we have a segment usually called Are You Cool With It? So we got to get your thoughts on the proposed playoff changes. Are you cool with them, or would you like things to say kind of the way that they are? I'm not particularly cool with them, no. I mean, just put me straight on this. To me, the playoffs are there to underline excellence during the season. So the elite teams from that season's regular campaign should be in the playoffs. As I understand this new suggestion, the top eight from either conference will be in. So of the 29 teams that will be in Major League Soccer next season, 16 will be in the playoffs. So unless my elementary school mathematics is completely up the spout, it's actually harder to miss the playoffs than Ooh. to be in them. So how does that work? How is that underlining excellence at the end of the season? Um, uh, my other thing is that if there's one particular uh, quality that MLS generally lacks, for me, it's jeopardy. There are too many games that don't mean enough. And if you have more playoff games, you're actually lessening the degree of jeopardy. So I don't really understand that either. So I'm looking at this and thinking, well, is this Major League Soccer just having change for change's sake? Is it Major League Soccer mm. saying, right, we need inventory for a, a new broadcast partner? If it is, fine, it's a good enough reason, just say it. But for me, looking at it from a sporting perspective, I don't see the need. Why break something that, that actually doesn't need to be altered at the moment? I think since we got rid of the home and away format for the playoffs, it's got a whole lot better. Yeah, uh, why would you want it as well? I, I love this uh, one home game, uh, you're out, the games finally mean something in regular season, John. And can I for a second uh, vouch for the player? How many more games are you going to add? You mm. throw in their mm. League's Cup, that showcase, another World Cup-style format, plus national team, some of these players are going to be playing 60, 70 games a year. Now, you can say what you want. Oh, the Europeans do it. That's fine. Different ball game different set of rules that you're playing by. If I'm a player right now, I just negotiated a CBA that had nothing to do with 25 extra games. John, you're the one calling no. these games, right? I mean, the single format, single elimination, knockout format, how much better, how much oh. more edge does that give these games? Oh, it's 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 doubly good to, to what was there before. They've halved the number of games and, and doubled the quality of the product, as far as I'm concerned. You need that instant jeopardy. You need people to pay, pay the ticket price, turn up, and know that they're going to see an outcome there and then in front of their eyes. And it, it's, it's live or die. It's not, hopefully we get a good enough result that in our next group game, we can continue our progress through these endless playoffs. That, that, that's not a playoff to me. That's another, almost a mini league competition. So that's where I'm at odds with this suggestion, really. All right. Uh, I've got a suggestion here about the playoff game that you're going to be calling, Austin against LAFC. And it's a suggestion that was mocked on this show uh, last time around. I suggested that LAFC would actually be huge, significant favorites over Austin. Herc said, no way. He did his little high-pitched, whiny voice. They can roll the tape if they want, complaint about it. But the truth is Vegas, Vegas has high installed, John. At plus 490, plus 490, Austin. Um, I wonder what you make of those odds. And as somebody who has seen Austin beat LAFC this year, uh, how did they do it then? And how do they replicate that if they are going to pull the upset? Well, first of all, as I often am with MLS odds, I'm amazed at what's being offered on, on this game. Uh, particularly when you bear in mind what's happened so far this season. It just, it makes no sense at all. Um, in terms of what Austin have done, I think it's very significant that when the two sides played at Q2 towards the end of August, Ili Sanchez didn't play for LAFC. And to me, that was huge. It's the only game that he's not been a part of in MLS this season. He was suspended, having been sent off in the previous match. And if you were to ask me, for all the glamour stars in the LAFC lineup, who the most important player week in, week out is, I'd probably say Ilya Sanchez. Because I think he's quiet, and he has, he's unfussy, but he's the metronome. He sets the, the tone of the team. He holds everything else around him together. He makes those around him look better. And he was missing on that occasion. And Austin ran riot. I think the previous game, uh, it, it also concerned Ilya Sanchez. He had problems dealing with Sebastian Driussi because does he pick him up and follow him around the field? Uh, does he hold his normal defensive midfield position centrally and that colleagues pick it up? I didn't think that LAFC really figured out how to deal with the particular talent of Driussi in that first game and it cost them because Ilya Sanchez was sort of taken out of the game 
by trying to look after Drewsy and it just allowed others to run riot. And also the, the, the um, defence was not what it normally would be for LAFC in that game. I think they had Kellen Acosta playing at right back and he was exposed by Diego Fagundes. So I think there were particular reasons, but tactically, I think again, discomforting Ilya Sanchez will be high up on Austin's list for this one. Hurt? I agree. Ilya Sanchez is a good piece of that element, but you're talking about a team in LAFC that just lost a game in the midfield battle. It's Kellen Acosta. At that time, it was Latif Blessing. They don't have the answers to deal with Alexander Ring. They don't have the answer to deal with Pereira. They don't have the transition uh, defensively. You get a Chiellini on there who is a big name, but mm. my might lessen that team um it's some trouble diego fagundes uh, record season was a 15 assist uh, sent uh, drusi is, is is a contender here for mls mvp i just think transition wise uh, it's too much for lafc especially a team that almost limped into that supporter shield they won or they lost excuse me five out of the last nine um almost lost that to the la galaxy if not for wanga and that last second goal by chicharango uh, we may be talking about a team that maybe lost all the momentum heading to the most crucial uh, stretch of this uh, MLS run. John, to that point, um, it's not just Chiellini, right, that Herc mentions, but Gareth Bale as well. Mm. These were these big signings that were supposed to kind of put LAFC over the hump, make this uh, truly a championship team. It doesn't seem like they've had that positive impact, certainly when it comes to Bale. Um, what kind of role do we expect for him against Austin? And, and, and what do you make of the role that he's played so far or the role he hasn't really played? so far for LAFC. Well, I think it's been disappointing for, for all concerned, not least Bale, who wants fitness and wants minutes on the field ahead of the World Cup. Um, I think his, his role will be bench at best uh, this Sunday. Uh, I don't expect there to be any changes to the, the starting 11. I don't know that for sure. I'm not privy to that information, but I'd be very surprised if the starting 11 was disrupted by anything other than potential injuries that have not actually been publicly reported. So uh, I think if I was Steve Chirondolo and John Thorrington had come to me midway through a season that was unfolding as successfully as it was in mid-July, and I'm told that you've got to assimilate Giorgio Chiellini and Gareth Bale uh, into your squad and disappoint some other players along the way. I'd have had very mixed feelings about that. And I think Steve Chirundolo has kept Sturm and, and not betrayed what his feelings are. But I just get the impression that it, it was an unwelcome nuisance having to have these two mm. superstar players um, being added to a mix that was already very successful and was purring along very nicely because then you get into a situation where players that have served you well, you're suddenly telling them that this week they're not playing. You know, Mamadou Fall was a, a big part of the squad in the first half of the season. Yes, he's got a lot to learn, but Chiellini's arrival effectively hastened him being shipped out on loan. And that may, over the longer term, uh, improve his development and hasten his development. But I just thought that it was a, it was a pretty nice camp at LAFC. They were playing some lovely football. Why fiddle with it? And I also look overall, I think they've used 30 players this season. Nearly a quarter of them have now left the club. Now, if you put that into a context in a different league, say you say to Nagelsmann at Bayern or to Klopp at Liverpool or Ten Hag at Manchester United, a quarter of your squad is going to disappear through the course of the season. You're inviting trouble because consistency is sought by managers and coaches throughout the world for a reason. And that's consistency of selection and consistency of squad. And that's been taken away, really, from Steve Gerundolo by all the chopping and changing. I, I absolutely accept that there are commercial reasons at play here as well. But I just think from a sporting perspective, there isn't going to be an upside to trying to bring Chiellini and Bale at this stage, not into a team as successful as LAFC were at that point. $10 million in the summer transfer window in salary you brought in players that you didn't need. Mm. John just mentioned the team was going along smoothly. You bring in these players, you disrupt the rhythm. Players like Quadu Opoku, who's having a career year, all of a sudden have to take a back seat to players like Gareth Bell. Fall ends up leaving so Chiellini can have a place. Eddie Segura was coming back from injury, now has to wait behind Chiellini, an aging Chiellini. Uh, players like Latif Blessing are now taking a back seat. You put, introduce Teo, you introduce Buwanga, Chicho Arango, who was a player that kept scoring goals, all of a sudden every weekend, week out, had a keep proving himself just to be in this lineup it almost seems like a headache that Steve Tarandolo should have never had to deal with and a headache that disrupted the team chemistry down this stretch 
Hmm. Slow down, man. Slow down. You guys both have your shovels out. You're burying LAFC already. They haven't even lost yet. Relax, relax. They're still, no. still in it, LAFC. I, I can see where this one's going. So a big game, Austin against LAFC, Bank of California uh, this weekend. John Champion will be on the call. Don't miss it uh, here on ESPN. All right, let's move to the European theater. Christian Pulisic uh, playing in the Champions League midweek. Got the start, played 75 minutes. And how about this? Gets the game-winning assist uh, as well. So, John, we've seen a lot of Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. We've seen some good. We've seen some bad. We've seen moments like this before with what seems like something positive but what might end up being a blip. So, uh, when you look at Christian Pulisic, what he's done so far at Chelsea and, and kind of where he is in his career, uh, do you think his future should be at that club? Um, I think it's a time for patience because Graham Potter's just arrived. Um, there are stories linking him with Newcastle. So, in fact, he's in quite a nice position because he's being linked with one of the brightest young English managers in Eddie Howe, and he's playing under another of the brightest young English managers in Graham Potter, both of whom are going to select their teams on merit. The, 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 these stories I read on Twitter about Thomas Tuchel having been, in some sense, anti-American for not giving Christian Pulisic more game time, a claptrap, because that's to suggest that a, a manager is going to select a team to serve his own whims rather than as a team that is going to be having the, having the best chance of winning a game. If Christian Pulisic is going to be the best chance of winning a game for Chelsea, he will be in the starting 11. So overall, you asked me to sum up his time at Chelsea. I think he's underwhelmed for the amount of money that was invested in him. But I do think it's a difficult stage on which to perform as a young player coming in because there's always going to be a lot of competition. There's always going to be a lot of scrutiny. The club is run in a peculiar way, not like a conventional football club, or it certainly wasn't when Abramovich was at the helm. It may now be changing under Todd Bowley's regime, but that will be slow change because Abramovich was there for so long. So without in any way wishing to usher him out of Chelsea's door, I would say that if Newcastle were to come calling after the World Cup, he should consider it very seriously because Newcastle is going to be the most exciting project to be part of over the next five years anywhere in the Premier League, I think. It will be an exciting project, uh, but if you're Christian Pulisic, you should just want to go somewhere where you can continue to play, continue to develop. You can talk about preaching patience under Graham Potter, but the, the thing is, Frank Lampard, he had his hardships. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, he's had his hardships. And now under Graham Potter, we just saw him last game come in as a right wing back. Uh, it doesn't matter where he is, he's having these difficulties, and you said it. It's very difficult to command that 70 plus million dollar transfer fee and really back it up at this point in your career at 24 years, years of age where it doesn't matter what manager has been at Chelsea, you've not really gotten that run of minutes. Maybe it's a level, maybe it's Christian Pulisic, but if I'm mm. Christian Pulisic, I wanna do everything in my power to change that. And that means a move. If it's Milan, if it's Juventus, if it's Newcastle, he has to move. Yeah, I, I, I interesting. think I, you guys, I, I absolutely, go on, John. I, I absolutely accept that. No, I was just, I was just going to say, I, I, I think maybe for soccer fans in the US, it's just worth underlining how attractive a proposition Newcastle is if that becomes an option and if he wants to stay in the Premier League and indeed if he wants to leave Chelsea and that option is there because that is just about the biggest theatre that you could go to. It's a place where if you put in the effort, you've got a bit of a smile on your face. Look at Miguel Almiron. They love him now. It took them a while, but from the very start, they really liked him because of his wholehearted effort. If Pulisic was to go there and he went with a smile on his face and he plays as we know that he can, he could become a real star there. Interesting. You guys mentioned some Premier League uh, destinations. You didn't mention Leeds. That's the latest link that potentially a uh, Christian Pulisic could end up at Leeds. Now, well, there's a lot of championship destination before too long. If they're not careful. Oh, oh. <laughs> the truth hurts. I mean, I'm not saying they are going to go down, but there, any any player looking at Leeds at the moment has got to have it in his mind. Okay, if I sign for them in the next transfer window, I'm joining a Premier League club. But will they be a Premier League club next year? That, that's the big issue there. And I, I'm sure you're going to ask me about Jesse Marsh. I, I feel from a bit because I think at the moment he's in control of a squad of players that isn't really good enough for the Premier League as a whole. That's not to denigrate mm. Aronson or Adams or any of the other constituent parts. But Marcelo Bielsa, towards the end, struggling to get a tune out of this set of players. They've then taken out Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. They have brought in some replacements, as we've mentioned already, but you know, Rafinha and Calvin Phillips were the two main constituent parts of that side that struggled to stay in the Premier League. So to ask Jesse Marsh to keep them up with this group, I think is a, it's a tall order. Hmm.
Uh, their next task is a tall order. They got to go to Anfield and face Liverpool. A lot of people suggesting that, that he may, in fact, be managing for his job. Do you see that as the case? And um, if so, how much longer do you think Jesse Marshall lasts at Leeds, John? I mean, inevitably, he's managing for his job. There are 20 managers in the Premier League all managing for their job on a, a weekly basis. But he's on particularly thin ice right now after two points in the last eight games. I would say, um, I mean, I do know from talking to people at least that there is a genuine desire to keep Jesse Marsh in post. They like him. They like the fact that he kept them up in difficult circumstances last year. They, they like the cut of his jib. Uh, to use a, a, a British expression. They, they like the way he goes about his work, but they are concerned about the results. They do acknowledge that he's working in difficult circumstances with the squad that he's got at the moment. Um, but I think that the Liverpool, for him to be judged on the Liverpool game, if that were to become his last game because they get thumped at Anfield, I think that's unfair. Because games against Liverpool are not what is going to decide Leeds' fate this season. So I would suggest to you that the more precipitous game is the one the following weekend at Ellen Road against Bournemouth, because that's a game that I think they simply have to win, um, particularly with the World Cup break looming. And with the fact that once they get through Bournemouth, I think they've got one more Premier League game before the World Cup, which is Tottenham uh, away. And then they come back from uh, the World Cup at the end of December. And their first two games are Manchester City and Newcastle. So it's not going to get any easier. So for me, it's that Bournemouth game that's looking the critical one. Herc? You know, it's funny because sometimes as Americans and seeing what Jesse Marsh has done in his limited sample size at Salzburg at, at, at the Bundesliga, you almost make Jesse Marsh to be a better coach than he actually is. Uh, John, do you think oftentimes we are getting carried away with Jesse Marsh, the American, not Jesse Marsh, the good coach. Because if you look at the sample size for his coaching career, it's not all too impressive. Uh, yeah, I think you can read it either way. You can look at his coaching career and take different things from it, both positive and negative. I think he'd done enough to deserve a chance, to deserve a hit. And I think that the way that he picked up the pieces, and it was difficult following someone who had legendary status in Bielsa, where so many of the players, although exhausted, um, were, were sad to see him go, and all the fans were were down at heel because Bielsa had, had left them behind. Um, I think he did really well in those circumstances, so I think he does deserve his chance. I mean, I long for the day, particularly having spent four years in this country, I long for the day when an American coach really cuts it in the Premier League, because I think when Bob Bradley went, he got 11 games at a club that was struggling and ultimately got relegated anyway under different managership. He didn't get a fair crack of the whip. So I don't think an American manager is likely to walk into a club at this stage where everything is going to be plain sailing and it's going to be easy. So it was always going to be a difficult job for Jesse Marsh. Um, and I think he's finding that now, uh, perhaps more than he thought he would, because the, the shortcomings of that squad are pretty severe. Um, but I, I cross my fingers for him because I think it's important for the development of U.S. managers um, that someone succeeds sooner rather than later. At the moment, he's the man with the platform. All right, let's move on from the uh, club game to the international game, shall we, John? Because of uh, course, Group B at the World Cup will feature both the United States and England, similar to Group C at the 2010 World Cup, as Herc brought up in our production meeting today. Who could forget the, the mirror cover uh, or, or back page, easy. England, Algeria, Slovenia, Yanks. Um, uh, give me an idea of kind of what the sentiment is uh, in the English press, amongst English fans, uh, not just of the group, but specifically the matchup with the United States. Do you feel like they're very confident that it's going to be a, a pretty straightforward affair? I mean, they're always very confident, um, probably mistakenly confident, history would suggest, in 2010 bears that out. But whenever uh, England approach a major tournament, uh, and all the more so now, having got to the final of the Euros and the semi-final of the previous World Cup, there is unrealistic expectation. Now, that's tempered slightly by England's poor recent results, but people are excusing those by the strange circumstances in which games are being played at the moment, when they're being played, the demands on players. Um, there's two schools of thought, really. One is that England will come again and be a real force in this World Cup, as they've been in the last two major tournaments. The other one is that Gareth Southgate's had his time uh, and maybe doesn't quite have that same connection with some of his players and isn't now getting the best out of them. So between the two, the truth probably lies somewhere, but no one's quite sure where right now. If you believe the English tabloid press, then England are going to win the World Cup. Uh, and the USA, who are they? No, we don't need to worry about them. They're in the Iran. Do they play football? That's the sort of attitude 
but it's a foolhardy attitude, as, as history has shown time and time again, going all the way back to 1950. Let me ask you a question, John. You know both programs very well. Uh, how close or how much in danger are these two programs of actually missing out in the next group or advancing from the group stage, I should say? Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I, I, look at, I look at that group and I think... Uh, England are probably the strongest side. I mean, the world rankings suggest that. Not that I'm a great fan of world rankings, but I think there is enough quality in that squad to, to say that without too much fear of argument. Iran are very interesting to me because, you know, they, they play football in an environment where we don't see an awful lot of it. But look where their players are playing. Look at the type of game that they play. They're going to be a threat. Wales are the ones that I think have most cause to worry in that section. Uh, I, I think they are a poor side now. I think they're on the way down having reached the peak probably in 2016 so they're six years beyond that now uh, and you're looking at gareth bale on whom they're pinning so many hopes and he can't get a game for lafc they couldn't get on the bench last week he may not even be on the bench this week so what does that say about them their players age profile is not great and then i look at the us and i'm really encouraged by the us over the medium to long term i just wonder whether this world cup's coming a bit too soon i was, I was a little bit chastened by the fact they didn't live, lay a glove on japan in that recent friendly in mm. in dusseldorf not because um i was particularly surprised but i just expected them to give them a better run for their money because i think japan are, are a good barometer um they always put it in even a, in a friendly they're a, a tough nut to crack uh, and i thought that the the us were poor that day and lacked ideas uh, and there didn't seem to be a plan B when, when things were going wrong. And then what do we make of qualifying as a whole with the US? There was some very good, there was a little bit that was very bad, and there was an awful lot that was in the middle. And CONCACAF is pretty easy to qualify from, so it's very difficult to know where to place them in the overall world rankings. If you were asking me now, my group winners would be England and my runners-up would be the United States. Hmm. Hmm. I like it. I like it. That's why they play the game. So we shall uh, we shall wait and see. There he is, John Champion. Thanks so much for the time here on Football Americas and safe travels to Los Angeles for the Western Conference Finals. Have a good call of LAFC against Austin. Thank you very much. Thanks. Lovely to be with you. All right. The U.S. Men's National Team World Cup roster Herc will be revealed live on ESPN2 on Wednesday, November 9th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, streaming live as well on the ESPN app. And Football Americas will be live with our full reaction on ESPN Plus right after the special. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, Eric, time to run it back. Champions League style. Weston McKinney with a goal. He's second in as many games as Juventus fell 4-3 to Benfica Tuesday in the Champions League. Herc, the loss means Juve will not advance to the knockout rounds. No, but Weston, another game, another goal. Would you believe me if I told you that Weston McKinney only trails Christian Pulisic for most Champions League, Champions League appearances for an American? Wow. This is a fourth Champions League goal. 18th goal since arriving in Europe with Schalke. His third goal this season across all competitions. He also started and played the full 90. Unfortunately, again, Juventus out of the Champions League. Meanwhile, Greg Berhalter calling in nine Major League Soccer players for a pre-World Cup camp going down in Frisco, Texas as we speak. This, of course, for MLS players out of the playoffs. The camp running October 25th through November 5th. The players on the list, Paul Ariola. Jesus Ferreira, Aaron Long, Shaq Moore, Jordan Morris, 
Christian Roldan, Gaga Slanina, DeAndre Yedlin, and Walker Zimmerman. Herc, some names not on this list as well. Who's your biggest snub? Jordi Mihailovic. Mm. And I'm surprised not to see him on this list, but I'm not surprised. Why am I surprised? Because Jordi Mihailovic hasn't really been a part of the U.S. Men's National Greg Berhalter in any facet. It, it may seem unfair, but it's it's a reality. And he was very good for Montreal this season. Very good. I picked him, I pegged him as an MVP candidate. He was that good as advertised for Montreal. Single-handedly, I shouldn't say single-handedly, but led them to a game of the Eastern Conference Final, one game away from the Eastern Conference Final. And when I think of the past games for the U.S. men's national team, and I go back to the Japan game, the game where guys like Weston struggled, guys like Tyler struggled, guys like Luca De La Torre struggled in that midfield. And you talk about creativity, being sound technically with the ball, being able to advance it, Yunus Musa not there. This is a player that ticks all those boxes. That game for me confirmed that you need a player like Jordi Mihailovic there. And it's a shame that he won't be there. I wonder what timing plays here. Uh, maybe Mihailovic makes the move to AZ a year ago or something yeah. has success. It, it might look different. I agree with what you say that, like, you're surprised because you might rate Mihailovic, but you're not that surprised because he's never really been part of this process for Greg Berhalter. Yeah. There's quite a few guys that I think kind of fit that description. Eric Williamson mm -hmm. is a guy you could put on that list. For me, I, I've said Jeremy Abobasi a whole bunch. The player that I picked is Brandon Vasquez, right? 18 goals, 8 assists. Uh, in Major League Soccer for FC Cincinnati, it compares very favorably to somebody like Jesus Ferreira, 18 goals, six assists for FC Dallas, playing in the same league. It's a position of need, obviously, for the U.S. And it's a guy who the refrain from Greg Berhalter was, well, you know, I haven't seen you enough. There, there's not enough time. Remember what Juan Carlos Osorio told us? There's always enough time. There's always especially a minute, for goal scores. a moment to find a goal scorer, especially when you're looking for one, right, as well. So um, for me, Brandon Vasquez is, is definitely on that list. There are some guys, Herc, that weren't on this list, though, who might have actually been a surprise because of the role that they played in qualifying. I'm thinking of guys like Jesse Zardes, who at one point under Greg Berhalter did have a significant role. And beyond that, I think the much bigger name is Sebastian Legette. Sebastian Legett at one point, I think a lot of folks felt, was a lock to make the team. And certainly a lock to be in the final discussions to make the team. The fact that he's not on this list to me is actually the biggest surprise, if not the biggest snub. Do you disagree? I don't disagree. Uh, remind me again where he's playing right now, where he plays his club football. I mean, he, didn't, Dallas, have, yeah. he didn't even have to take a flight. He I could know. have walked to training, I which know. makes it even more of a bigger surprise. Going back to Brandon Vasquez, the skill set. There is no other player in that pool with that skill set, the size, the power, the technical ability, the combination of all. Uh, in the World Cup, you're going to come across mm -hmm. a lot of different back lines that could require a different skill set. I know he's not been part of this process, and it's very difficult, especially with the amount of goal scorers that are out there right now in that nine position. But you just have to wonder what could have been if they would have introduced him earlier. All right, Herc. Speaking of players that were left out of this camp, another name on that list, Matt Miazga, who we know, of course, uh, came back from Europe to return to Major League Soccer. And he had some interesting comments about Greg Berhalter. Quote, we didn't see eye to eye on a few things in the past, and that has affected me from being called up. I'd like to say a few things, but I'll refrain from that. Uh, Miazga also added that he and Greg Berhalter have been in touch recently. Um, so take it with a grain of salt, I suppose. Herc, are, are these shots fired? Are they, are they truly shots fired? And if so, help me decipher what those shots actually mean. They're not shots fired, but he is trying to send a message. Mm -hmm. And I think it's evident that Matt Miazga wants to send a message. I think it's also important that people out there do their homework on when feathers are being ruffled with Greg Berhalter, what happens? Mm. Uh, Matthew Hoppy had an incident. You could say whatever you want about his level, but he's not come back. John Brooks, something happened. He's not been back. Matt Miazga didn't see eye to eye. He's not been back. There's only one player right now that has had a disagreement with Greg Berhalter that has not been excommunicated, and that's Christian Pulisic. That's the face of U.S. soccer, you know, right now.
Uh, it produced a little Latore. Well, there's still time. We will see. Hmm. Uh, but I think there's a pattern. And Greg Berhalter runs a tight ship, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's his way or the highway. And there are many coaches like that. But we're seeing a trend with these players. And, and I think it's what Miazga is alluding to. Do I think he has a skill set to play in this back line? Absolutely. Especially when you look at the dwindling numbers at center back or the lack of performances at center back. There's an argument to be made that he's got a gripe. Uh, how much of this? Gripe. Yeah, how, how much of this reminds you of the Tata Martino Chicharito like dynamic, right? In that there, there's a thing that a coach can't get over. At what point is it the responsibility, Herc, of the coach? And you've been around a lot of locker rooms to say, you know what? I'm the bigger man here, right? I need to figure out a way to make it work with a guy I either don't see eye to eye on or I feel like wronged me in the past. If you want to draw the comparison with Chicharito, how much of that onus is on the manager? Is that not a, a mark of great leaders that they're able to work with people they don't see eye to eye on and still get the most of them if needed? It is a mark of a great leader. Also, there is no manager out there that's going to purposely shoot himself in the foot. If you think said player can help him, greatly he's going to be there regardless of the difference that's just the issue here Greg Berhalter doesn't see value in a lot of these players like maybe the fan base or other pundits see value in them I see value in a Matt Miazga I do see that value I do see that versatility I do see that need especially today but Greg Berhalter does not on uh, one of his many lone stops away from Chelsea, Matt Miazga played at Alaves. Why do I bring that up? Well, because you can watch La Liga on ESPN+. Plus. Barcelona on Saturday against Valencia, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Maybe we get some Yunus Musa as Valencia and Barcelona face off on ESPN+. Plus. Don't miss it this weekend. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. First ball, second ball, Seguida. Rodriguez with a volley. Oh, my goodness! Ooh, that's dangerous. It's still loose shot. Off the goalkeeper and in, Kansas City has scored another early goal. Now they have to defend. Hamilton looking, shooting, Hamilton! NWSL final coming to D.C. on Saturday night at Audi Field. Kansas City current against the Portland Thorns. And as of Wednesday morning, Steve Goff of the Washington Post reporting that already 16,000 tickets had been sold. Sounds like it's going to end up close to a sellout crowd. Just over 19,000. Again, another good postseason attendance number coming for the National Women's Soccer League who have been getting great 
attendances uh, throughout this postseason. And of course, Herc, of course, you know D.C., uh, was not going to let the no, league they down. No, they were in need of good soccer, and the Desperate people came for out. It. Desperate, Desperate, Desperate for it. Desperate for it, you might yeah. say, after, yeah. uh, after a year of DC United and the Washington spirit letting us down. Let's not let the good people down here, Herc. This is Book It. This is where we make folks money. So what is your pick for the NWSL championship game on Saturday night? Oh, there's only a pick I can make. It's the only mm-hmm. one pick I felt comfortable making, and I am taking Portland. Wow. At minus 120, yes, the money line against KC. They just pack more punch. I mean, Sophia Smith is an MVP candidate. Sam Coffey, uh, Rookie of the Year candidate. Two players in that best 11. Another two players in that second uh, defense or offensive team, I should say, best team, if you will. And they just... More powerful offensively. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a team that led the league in goals scored 49. Not only did they lead the league in goals scored, but they scored 20 more goals than KC current. We're talking about a team that packs a punch. Both games they played in the regular season, unbeated against KC. Unbeaten, excuse me, against KC. One tie, the other one a win. A 3-0 thrashing. Morgan Weaver, Sinclair, Sophia Smith, MVP candidate on the scoreboard that day. You look at the names, Howard Brun, you look at the names, Bigsby, you look at the names and they're crystal done. They've just got more star power. It's too much offensive uh, production on that end. And I got to go with what for me looks like easy money here. Okay, so Portland Thorns, Herc's taking Portland at minus 120. Maybe not, maybe not your big home run swings of the past, but a safe bet there, Herc taking the favorites at the NWSL championship game. Okay, I'm doing things a little different here. I wish there were player props for this, by the way, Herc. You felt like we didn't have enough, we didn't have enough options to choose from. Usually you get a ton of odds on these games, not, not for the NWSL championship. So Vegas needs to work on that. I'm going with the over which is counterintuitive for me. Usually if it's a final or a first leg or any type of defensive game, I'm going to say take the draw and take the under. But, Herc, what happened the last time that I did that? Do you remember? Uh, refresh my memory. It was Rayados Pachuca. <laughs> oh, and yeah. they scored they seven scored goals, seven goals yeah. in the game. Okay, so I'm, I've been burned a little bit by that one. So I'm going... Uh, I'm going opposite here, okay? I'm going over two and a half goals. I'm I'm going against what I went with in the past. Uh, I think there'll be goals in this one. We got some bangers last week, right? Rocky Rodriguez, Crystal Dunn, just to name a few, from from Portland. Uh, And I think Kansas City's good for a goal as well. So I think, like, maybe a Portland two-to-one here would make a lot of sense for me. Uh, That would cover for you. That would cover for me. My payout's a little bit bigger. I'm I'm at plus 100. By the way... Anybody who wants to bet on Kansas City, you get a decent odds there. Plus 275, the draw coming in at plus 250. All right, enough on the National Women's Soccer League. Let's talk about Liga Mekis Femenil, because we got a top scorer to celebrate. Golden Boot, Mia Fischel, 17 goals. She becomes the first foreign-born player to win the Golden Boot in Liga MX Femenil. She does it for your former club, her Tigres. There we go. Get that call up, Mia. Get that call up. That's what it's about. Mia Fischel, the uh, young American, surely on the radar of Vladko Andonovsky uh, as the U.S. could always use some more firepower in attack. And uh, those 17 goals got her the golden boot down in Mexico. San Diego, California native. Here's a look at the quarterfinal bracket for Liga Mekis Femenil. There you see Tigres. They're taking on Toluca in the first round. America Cholos, Chivas against Cruz Azul, and Rayadas against Pachuca. Uh, the first legs will be completed on Friday. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. We will be back on Monday with a full recap of not just the NWSL final, but the Liga Mekis final as well. Thanks for hanging out with us here on YouTube, Herc. We got, we got a lot more comments here. What are John's memories of the 1950? World Cup. <laughs> Greg can't pick a striker because he's too concerned about getting the goalie the ball at his that, feet. That was yours. That was your comment. Matt John's says, this man. is such quality commentary. I wonder what show he was watching. That's it for us on ESPN Plus and YouTube. We'll see you next time. Uh... <laughs>